Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to bring us salvation. We thank you that he finished his work on earth by dying on the cross and then rising from the dead. And now here, as we worship you, we call on the power that raised him from the dead, the power of your Holy Spirit to fill us so that we can hear your message, so that we can hear your truth and receive it. God, as we talk about Lydia today, we pray that the same thing that happened to her will happen to us, that you'll open our hearts, that we can receive your truth, and so that we can know Jesus as Savior and Lord, or if we already know him, that we can live more faithfully, more effectively for him. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hi, everyone. I'm Pastor Chris. Welcome. Whether you're here for the first time or you're a member of New Life and you've been coming for a long time, I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to be with us. We're closing out a series called Experiencing God in Such a Time as This. If you've been here for any of the past eight weeks, you know that we've been looking at biblical characters and we've been seeing how they live through changing and challenging times. And they didn't just live through those times, but they thrived in those times. And the reason we've looked at those characters is so that we can examine our own lives and our own challenging and changing times, which have been made even more changing and challenging by the coronavirus, and see how we can live effectively. The characters we've looked at over the past eight weeks were Esther, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Ruth, David, Peter, and Paul. Now, Even if you've never had anything to do with the church, you've probably heard of those characters. Today, we're going to look at a character that you may not have heard of. Her name's Lydia. Lydia is not famous like Queen Esther or even Ruth. In fact, Lydia lived during the time of the Apostle Paul. Their lives intersected in a city called Philippi. And we're going to look at how Lydia's life was changed and how that impacted the people of her own day very, very seriously. Before we do that, before we go back in history to about 30, 40, 50 AD, somewhere in that neighborhood, let's go back to a much more recent time in history. Let's go back to 1986. In 1986, I was serving as the associate pastor of a Crestview Presbyterian Church in suburban Cincinnati. My roles there included being the youth pastor, the pastor of adult ministry, pastoral care to some degree, and I'm preaching about 40% of the time. I had just passed off the role of children's pastor to our new children's director, Beth McHenry. It was the fall, it was September, and we were doing our annual youth retreat. It was a lot like what Pastor Alex and the New Life students team does every fall when they do Rebloom, except on a much smaller scale. There were probably about 50 students. We had about 10 or 12 adult uh, volunteers there, and we had decided that we would spend the weekend at one of the local Christian schools at their facilities because there was nobody there during the weekend. They had a lot of great facilities. So we were there. We started off with snacks, and then we had some fun and games. After that, we sang together, and then I had offered the weekend's first message. As I finished the message, Beth came up to me a little frantic, and she said, hey, Steve's missing. And I said, oh, okay, well, I'll go look for him. So Steve was uh, shy young man. He was a sophomore, and he had started coming to the youth group probably about a year before whenever his friend Pete, and by the way, Steve and Pete aren't their real names, but anyway, Pete had brought him to a youth ministry group, and Steve had, and I had never really connected 
Steve was, as I said, shy and quiet. He didn't join in the games whenever we did games before we had the message. He really sort of just sat there when we sang. He never really interacted with us when we had the messages. And, and so he just showed up, but he was always on the fringe. Well, now he, he was missing. So I went running from building to building, and as I came around the corner, there was a set of steps, and there was Steve, his head down, and he was, he was crying softly. And I went up and I said, hey, man, we missed you. Where, what, what's going on? And I couldn't read how he was feeling, what he was thinking, and he said, did you really miss me? And I said, well, you know, we had the message, and, and we were singing, and, and after that was over, yeah, I noticed that you were gone. And I said, what's up, man? I, I just couldn't read what was going on. And, and he looked at me and he said, you don't like me very much, do you, Chris? Wow. Talk about a serious question, you know? And I, I, I sat down beside him and, and I, I probably in a moment of more honesty than, than I might ever have mustered in my life, I said, you know, Steve, it isn't that I don't like you. I just don't understand you. And I don't know what I expected would happen when I said that to Steve, but what did happen is he just burst into sobs. And I started crying, too. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. You know, obviously, I had connected with a lot of the other students. I mean, there were 50. When I came, there, there were only a handful of students, and, and some of them had even come to know the Lord, but I just never really was able to connect with Steve. The group was growing all the time, but um, Steve, you know, he finished out that weekend, but the following week, when we had youth group, Steve wasn't there. But his friend Pete said to me, you know what? I took Steve to the Nazarene church's youth group. Pete used to go to both our youth group and the Nazarene youth group. He liked the Nazarene one because he said it was a, a, a little more reserved, a little more serious than ours was. So from that point on, Steve and Pete attended the Nazarene youth group, and Pete would continue to come to Crestview. Anyway, the following spring... Uh, Pete came to me one evening at youth group, and he said, hey, guess who's, guess who's speaking at the youth service at the Nazarene Church this weekend? And I looked at him and said, you. He said, no, Steve. And I said, Steve. He said, I said, great, man. So I, I sent Steve a note that week, and I told him how glad I was that he had connected you know, with God and that, that God was working in his life, and even to the point that he was, you know, he was able to do the, the message at the at the youth service that weekend. So as I think about it, even now, I'm so grateful to God that he was able to, to break through in Steve's life, even though I never could. I, I never connected with Steve. And, and this is something I want us to, to think about because I'm grateful to this day that God used that Nazarene church to help open Steve's heart to receive his truth. That, that's a very powerful thing. God used the Nazarene church to open Steve's heart to receive God's truth. And the reason I share that story is because that's sort of Lydia's story too, as we're going to see as we turn to Acts chapter 16 in a moment. Before we do that, I want to introduce the take-home point for today. The take-home point, if you've never watched online, is the one point that we're going to make in the message. It comes from Scripture, and we want to take it home. We want to live it out in our week ahead, and here it is. Only God can change a person's heart to receive his truth. Only God can change a person's heart to receive his truth. So if you have a relationship with God and Jesus Christ already, then when you open up the Bible and you read it, 
You probably understand it. If you have a relationship with God, when you pray, you probably have a sense that there's somebody there that's listening to you. But if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then maybe reading the Bible doesn't make any sense. And, and, and prayer, it maybe sounds like you're just talking to yourself. And maybe... The, you don't even really think about God a lot, and church maybe doesn't make sense. And if that's the case, then my prayer is that God's going to open your heart as you listen today, just as God opened Lydia's heart, as we're going to see, and as God opened Steve's heart so long ago so that they could understand his truth and get to know him. So let's turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 13 to 15. We're going to meet Lydia. Before we do that, I want to give you a little bit of background. First of all, we talked about Saul, who became Paul last week, and he was a powerful opponent of the church. If you were here, or maybe you already know the, know the story, even if you weren't. Um, if you were here online last week, or if you already know the story, Saul was attacking the church. He was getting Christians arrested because he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He thought he was a false Messiah, certainly not the Son of God. And so he wanted to have nothing to do with Jesus, and he wanted the church to die. That's what he really wanted. But then he met Jesus personally in a vision as he was actually on a mission to Damascus to, to arrest Christians. And in that meeting, he realized that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, that he is the son of God. And Saul trusted Jesus as his savior and Lord. And it changed him from the inside out. In fact, Jesus would say in that moment, Saul was born again. And in his life, as it was changed, he started becoming a preacher, an effective witness for Jesus Christ, not only to Jews, but also to Gentiles. And you know, when Saul changed, he also changed his own name to Paul. Now, wait a minute. Sometimes God changes somebody's name, like he changed Abram's name to Abraham. He changed Jacob's name to Israel, but Saul changed his own name to Paul. You know why he did that? Because God sent him to be the witness or the messenger, the apostle to the Gentiles. And Gentiles simply means non-Jew. Saul is a very Jewish name. If Saul walked into any city in the Middle East back in those days, and most of the cities you know, were Roman outposts at this point, uh, and so there was a Roman culture, Greek background. If he walked in and said, hey, I'm Saul, they would say, oh, there's a Jew. So he changed his name to Paul so that he could have more effect when he was witnessing to Gentiles. You see, he didn't want his ethnic background to be a stumbling block. He wanted to do whatever he could do so that people who didn't know Jesus could come to know Jesus. He traveled with groups of men and women who were there to help him in this effort, and sometimes he met groups of men and women who already knew Jesus, who helped his ministry to be more effective. So in Acts 13, a couple chapters before, or a few chapters before we get to the account of Lydia, Saul, who is still being called Saul in chapter 13, but you'll see in chapter 16 he's called Paul, um, he and Barnabas were gathered together for prayer service. And this is what happened. It says, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas and Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul, also known as Paul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So this commissioning of Barnabas and Paul was so that they could go out and do a mission uh, uh, throughout the known world of their day, really, and their, their mode of 
modus operandi, their, their method of operation was they would go to any big city or town, they would find the synagogue, that's the Jewish worship center, and they would talk to the Jews because, you know, Saul was a Jew. In fact, he was a Pharisee. He knew the, the Jewish scriptures, and so from those scriptures, he would show them that Jesus was the Messiah, but he would also go out into the marketplaces of those cities, and he would talk to the Gentiles, to the idol-worshiping pagan Gentiles, and he would tell them about Jesus. And everywhere he went, some of those people responded to the message, and they became followers of Jesus. So in Acts 16, Paul and Silas had arrived in a place called Philippi. So here's what happened. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. So let's look. There are five important points that we read in this very short scripture. First of all, Paul went went to a place where people were meeting for prayer. Secondly, Lydia was there and she was already worshiping God. As Lydia listened to Paul's message, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. Lydia was baptized, the fourth point, and Lydia invited Paul and Silas to stay at her home. The sequence is very important. First of all, Paul and Silas, wherever they went, they tried to find some people who were interested in God. And so they went to this place outside the city where they found some women who were worshiping. And they sat down and talked to them. And and it's a very important thing. You see, it's a really important thing because Paul and Silas were men. They were teachers, rabbis, if you will. And in those days, they would not talk to women publicly, but it says they did. Paul spoke to a group of women. In those days, men didn't speak to women in public, and certainly not about a faith conversation. So from the beginning, there's something that we need to know about Jesus from the very beginning, was very different than most rabbis because Jesus spoke to women in public too. In fact, he once spoke to a Samaritan woman, woman, and the thing about Samaritans is the Jews hated the Samaritans. Jesus was a Jew, but he spoke to a Samaritan and a woman, and because of that, the whole village where that woman lived came to know him as the Messiah, as the Savior. Another time, Jesus spoke to a Syrophoenician woman. That's a a foreigner, somebody from another country. And because of that, that woman's child was healed of a demon. Jesus had women among his followers, not his 12 disciples, but the entourage that followed with him. And in fact, there were women, very wealthy women, who followed with Jesus. And primarily, they were the supporters of Jesus' ministry. Now, Paul also worked with women. He formed house churches, and some of those churches were led by women. In fact, we are pretty sure that when Paul wrote the letter to the Philippian church, probably might even have been read out loud by Lydia because the church met in her home. And uh, we, that's where we, we already read about that, you know, that they started there. And we'll see as we conclude today's message that Lydia had now been established as her place was the place where the Christians in Philippi met. So my point here is that the early church had women in it. The early church had slaves in it. It was made up of slaves and free people. And the group of people that had sent Paul and Barnabas out 
Do you remember that group? It consisted of a, a, a black man, a guy from Cyrene, which is northern Africa, a childhood's friend of King Herod Antipas, one of the most hated men in the history of Israel, and then, of course, Paul and Barnabas. So there was a, there was a collection of people that you would never have expected to come together in that Antioch church that was the representation of what the early church looked like. It was very diverse. So as Paul spoke to that group of women that day um, that we talked about in Acts 16, 13 to 15, it says that Lydia um, was already worshiping the Lord, and it says this, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted Paul's message. That's the most important point in today's message, that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to, to receive the message, and she accepted it. So the Lord opened Lydia's heart, and I would say if we want to go back to 1986 and the story of Steve, the Lord opened Steve's heart when he went to the Nazarene church, not when he was you know, at, at Crestview, not in my ministry, but in this other person's ministry, in this other church's ministry. The Lord opened Steve's heart, and he accepted the message. And here's the thing. It is always the Lord who opens our hearts, but then we must accept the message. I want you to look at that again. It is always the Lord who opens our hearts, your heart, my heart, but then we still have the responsibility to accept the message. Some of us can remember the exact moment the Lord opened our heart and we accepted the message. For me, that day is June 13th, 1969. It was the last day of Vacation Bible School at Gypsy Christian Church, and when they offered the invitation for people to come forward, God opened my heart to receive that message of salvation. I went forward and trusted Him as Savior and Lord. Now, you might remember that moment in your life, or maybe you don't, but until the Lord opens our hearts, we will not accept Jesus' message, but once the Lord does open our, our hearts, we must still accept Jesus' message. I just want to underline that. It's so, so, so important. The Lord will open our hearts at a point, and when he does, then it's on us to accept the message, to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, whatever it is that the message might be. You know, Timothy Keller is a pretty famous pastor here in America. He wrote a book on preaching called Preaching. And in that book, he wrote these words. He said, the difference between a good sermon and a great sermon is whether God opens the people's hearts to receive it. That's why one of you can hear a message and you can say, wow, that message was so powerful. It just changed my life. And the same message, somebody else would say, I don't understand what that message was about. I just didn't get it. Same message. But the difference was, did the Lord open your heart? And you know, the, the reality is, as Lydia listened to the Apostle Paul teach that day, talk that day, pray that day. We don't know what part of the message it was, but the Lord opened her heart and she accepted the message and her life was changed. And that can happen every single message we ever hear from God. You know, sometimes it's that first time where the Lord opens our hearts so that we can trust him as Savior and Lord. Or maybe he opens our hearts so that we'll forgive somebody or ask somebody for forgiveness. Or maybe it's so that we'll have a desire to read his word or maybe to stop gossiping. It could be anything. But then once that happens, once the Lord opens our heart, then we must accept the message. And accept doesn't just mean that I say, yeah, that's it. Like, I agree with what the pastor's saying today. I agree with the preacher's message. That's not what that means. Accept means we act on it. And how do I know that? Because I know what Lydia did that day. What did she do? She was baptized and she invited Paul and Silas to stay in her home. Two specific actions, baptism and she said, come and stay with me. 
So first of all, baptism is the first step of obedience that we take after Jesus Christ becomes Savior and Lord in our life. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote a lot about baptism. In the letter to the Romans, he connected baptism and sin. This is what he said. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You see, baptism is so much more than a symbol of you know, being cleansed from sin. It's, it's the first step that we take that says, I want to die to my old self. I don't want to live that old life anymore. I want to rise to a new life with Jesus because when we're baptized, we're buried with Christ, what Paul says, and we rise to this new life that he gives us. So Lydia was baptized. And after she was baptized, she invited Paul into and Silas to stay at their house. Why? Well, we don't know for sure. But what we do know is Lydia wanted to hear everything she could hear about Jesus and about her newfound faith. She wanted to know how she could live this new life that was now hers. And so she invited Paul and Silas into her home, and they finally accepted, and they stayed there for a time. And I mean, they stayed there for months. It wasn't just a day or two. And while they were there, the interesting thing is that this house church, and it did become a house church, became established, and people who came, became believers started coming there and, and staying there. And we know that leader, Lydia was the leader of that church, basically because of what we see in um, Acts chapter 16, verse 40. Now, we just read Acts 16, 13 to 15, and now I just said Acts 16, verse 40. What happens in 16 to 39 is very important, but it doesn't have anything to do with Lydia. Let me fill you in. So what happens is Paul and Silas decide to go back to that same place of prayer the next day to see if they can find some people to talk to about Jesus. And as they're going, there's this girl. She's a slave girl. And she's possessed by a demon, but this demon has given her a special ability. She can tell people's future. And so as they walk by, this slave girl says, hey, those two, Paul and Silas, they're here to tell you about the Lord Most High and how you can be saved. Now, that seems like a good thing, right? I mean, this girl who has the ability to tell, you know, things about people that nobody else knows are saying, Paul and Silas are from the Most High God, and they're here to tell you about Jesus. Well, that was good, but what happened is every day, Paul and Silas went to this same place, and every day, this girl kept saying the same thing, and eventually, Paul got tired of it. And he just turned to the girl one day and he said, he, he commanded the demon to come out of her. No, that sounds like a good thing, right? The girl doesn't have any more demon. But remember, she's a slave girl and she made her masters a lot of money because she could tell people's future. Now she has no demon. Now she has no ability to do that. Now her masters have no ability to get money from her. And so they turned Paul and Silas over to the city officials and they beat Paul and Silas and put them in prison. Now, this is a bad thing to do because Paul and Silas are Romans. Romans were entitled to due process. Hold that thought. So that night, Paul and Silas are in prison, and they're, you know, they've been beaten with rods. Their, their backs are probably raw, but they're, they're in stocks, and <laughs> they're singing praise to God. And as they sing praises to God, we're told there was an earthquake, and they're... they're, they're Chains came off, and all the chains of all the prisoners, all the prison doors came open. That's good news for all the prisoners. It's good news for everybody except for the jailer. 
You see, the jailer knew that if all these prisoners leave, he's going to be executed. So he gets out his sword and he's going to kill himself because he's just basically going to save time because that's what's going to happen anyway. But Paul says, hey, don't do it. Don't do it. We're all here. And the jailer comes in and he finds out, indeed, every single prisoner was still in his cell. And so he comes and falls down in front of Paul and Silas and he says, what must I do to be saved? You see, he, the Lord opened up his heart. And so Paul and Silas went to his home and sp- spoke to his entire family. And it says the entire family believed and they were baptized that very night. And then the, the jailer took Paul and Silas and he dressed their wounds. He cleans, cleansed their wounds, took them back to prison. So the next morning, the city officials send some other people and say, hey, let those two guys go. But now Paul plays his Roman card. He says, no, 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 not so quick. We're Romans. Paul and Silas and I were Romans. And you beat us, and we didn't even have a trial. You want to send us out of the city quietly? Not going to happen. And so the city officials themselves come, and they apologize to Paul and Silas, and they, they beg them to leave the city. But they don't leave the city, and that's what we find in Acts chapter 16, verse 40. It says this, when Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. Okay, so why go to Lydia's house before leaving town? I mean, they're obviously not gonna stay in Philippi anymore because they're not welcome there. But before they leave town, they go to Lydia's house. Why? Well, we know what Luke says. They went there to encourage Lydia and the others, right? But I think there's probably something else going on here. Think about it. When those officials said to Paul and Silas, please leave town, and they let them go, do you think they just forgot about it? I think they sent somebody to watch. You know, when are these guys leaving town? And instead of leaving town, Paul and Silas leads the person following him from the government right to Lydia's house. And I think there was a message there. The message was, you want to leave these people alone. You don't want to bother these people because you already you know, made a big mistake with me. I don't think you want to make a big mistake with them. It was sort of like a get-out-of-jail-free card. So we don't know anything else about Lydia. That's all we know about Lydia, those few verses that we just read about and that she was there in her house and she was leading the house, the the church there. So what we know is that um, this is a very important thing for our own growth as followers of Jesus. We know this. When the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive Paul's message, God's truth, she accepted it, she acted on it, and then what did she do? She changed her city by living out that truth every day. So she accepted it, the Lord opened her heart, she accepted the truth, then she acted on it. She was baptized and she invited Paul in and she started a church in her home. And then she kept continuing to teach and lead and guide people so that they could come to know Jesus in the city of Philippi, and a strong church was established there. In fact, I think it might have been the Apostle Paul's favorite church, because when you read his letter to the Philippians, it's a a letter that's almost totally filled with praise and affirmation, except for one little bit of encouragement for two women leaders in the church to to, sort of get back together because they were having an issue. So when God opens our hearts to accept his message, then We let it work in our lives. It changes us from the inside out. It happened to Lydia. It happened to Steve. It has happened to so many of us. And that's why today's next step is this. I will open my life and ask God to work his truth in me each day this week. I will open my life and ask God to work his truth in me each day this week. So we're basically asking God 
to open our hearts again, to open our hearts anew. And if God has opened our hearts, then what we want to do is we want to accept that and we want to act on it just as Lydia did, just as Steve did so long ago. For Lydia, it meant starting a church in her home. For Steve, it meant that he was able to stand up in front of the the whole church family at the Nazarene church and preach the message of God to them. I can't wait to hear what it means in each of your lives. Lydia's life was never the same after God opened her heart and she accepted the message and she was baptized and she started having people meet in her home. Her life changed from the inside out. And what I want to ask you right now is, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever let Jesus Christ work in your life? Has God opened your heart? And when he has, what have you done with it? And and I say this so often here at New Life, but, you know, following Jesus is as simple as ABC. Simple, but not easy. The A is we admit that we're sinners and that we need Jesus as our Savior. That's the first thing that we need to do. And then we believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And believe in means trust. It doesn't just mean believe about. It's like I said before, whenever Lydia accepted Jesus' message, it didn't mean that she just acknowledged it was true, but she acted on it. And believing in Jesus isn't just accepting that Jesus is Savior and Lord, but it means acting on it. And then finally, C is confess. I confess my sin and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. Right now, we're going to sing together. We're going we're to listen as the worship team leads us in song. And after that, and, and actually during that, I'm going to encourage you to let God open up your heart if he never has before so that you can receive this truth that I just shared with you. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it after the song.